The Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined by our Dutch friend and semi-regular guest, Rico Brouwer, who was previously involved in pirate party politics and is currently host of the podcast. podcast. How are you doing, Rico? Excellent, given the circumstances, but I'm in good health. Happy, happy to talk to a friend who's moved around the world, Roji. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, that's good news. I have a little gimmick here. So, podcast. That's the, the name of my channel. It's, it's pot with candle. Now, translate pot however you want. It's it's a flower pot for me, <laughs> but it's pot with candle. So, conversations of hope. So that's podcast. Welcome. All right, conversations of hope. I like that. We've uh, on geopolitics and empire. We've recently been discussing a lot uh, COVID. 1984 uh, and the lockdowns, and we've had a good roster of guests covering uh, the subject. I personally make no apology for my viewpoint uh, that this pandemic is not a pandemic and or it's being used for absolutely nefarious uh, totalitarian purposes by powers that are acting you know, at a global level, pulling the strings of, of nations and pushing them towards some kind of nasty agenda. Um, but recently there have been anti-lockdown protests all over the planet. There was one recently in Mexico City, uh, in Australia, some other parts of the world, uh, but also in Europe. Uh, there, there was the one in Berlin, and I'm not sure if you attended that, but uh, I'd like to get your take uh, on what's happening with the COVID situation, uh, the lockdowns uh, in Europe, uh, as well as in the Netherlands where you're located. All right, so yeah. Um there were actually two big demonstrations in Berlin, and th th those were the biggest ones in, in on the European continent. First one being August 1st, second one being uh, last week. Um, and first one had, yeah, well, we don't know how many people showed up. According to uh, Dutch television, like 20,000. According to an organization there, 1.3 million. So that was the first demonstration, uh, August 1st. And then the second one, like a week or two weeks ago, I don't know the date, the date by, by heart, uh, drew more. So uh, let's say a million and a half, 1.8 million people in the streets of Berlin. Now, the second one was cool because they had arranged for uh, buses, like stagecoaches, to, uh, to drive into Berlin from all through Europe, from the Netherlands, from all other countries. So um, things are happening in Germany. Now, the lockdown measures in Germany are more strict than they are in the Netherlands, like with the face masks and, uh, and, and those, th those things. So that's, but, but also in, in Berlin, they may have some more historic perspective, right, with the Berlin Wall. That's, that's still in recent memory. Um, maybe that, that contributes to them being more going out to, to demonstrations. But um, I wasn't there, no. A friend of mine who lives in Spain, who visits the Netherlands once a year, was here. So I, I decided, now I have to see this guy. And then we were there talking to each other, looking at each other. He said, I should have gone to Berlin. I said, dude, I'm here with you because you're here. We could have gone, <laughs> we could have gone together. So now I wasn't there. There's demonstrations in the Netherlands as well. And they are small, like 5,000 people, which is fairly small for a country of uh, 17 million uh, people. First demonstration we had against the corona measures was June 21st from recollection and it was forbidden. Now in the Netherlands we have, we have pretty solid rules that allow you to demonstrate. That's a constitutional right. You can protest whatever you like. There's no grounds for for banning a, a, a demonstration unless 
I don't know, the sky falls down or, or earthquakes happen or another, there's no grounds, but they have been blocking demonstrations in the Netherlands for this topic, even though a week before Black Lives Matter is allowed to go through, <laughs> but this was blocked. People showed up regardless. And um, that first protest that went through, even though it was blocked, that was beaten down pretty hard for Dutch standards. So um, that was, yeah, we, we, we had, haven't seen that in, in, uh, in a long, long time. And maybe that contributes to people not really wanting to go to one of those protests again. So what am I going to do there? Get beaten up again? What do you mean? How, how bad uh, did that turn out? Like physically, people physically beaten or arrested or what happened? Okay, so there a, f- a few things happened there. One is people went, so in the Netherlands, we have this tradition, right? Our, our, our government is sit- situated in The Hague. Uh, just like the International Peace Court and uh, the OPCW, th- those things are in The Hague. That's where our government is as well. There's a big grassy field in The Hague. That's where we go. That's our tradition. If we go demonstrate against our state, we go to that field. It's called the Mali Veld, Mali field. So people show up there and they're intimidated and threatened off the field until there's too many of them. And then the mayor says, well, you're allowed to protest for half an hour. And then, yeah, so, but after the half an hour, all of a sudden, the hooligans showed. Do you know the word hooligan? What does that mean for you? Yeah, like the delinquents, hooligans. Delinquents, yeah. You know, in Dutch, that would mean, we, we, we mean the, the football supporters that mean mischief. That would be hooligans. So then the hooligans showed up. Well, the hooligans, in the words of our uh, Dutch prime minister, showed up. And uh, what he actually said was, for hooligans, which is Dutch, which is not really a Dutch word. He invented it. I tried to translate it for you. It would be the coked up thugs on drugs hooligans. That's my, so you get the idea. So they showed up, they start singing and a bunch of them lure some of the demonstrators off the field. Then one of those presumed coked up thugs on drugs hooligans arrests somebody else, drags him over the ground and takes him to one of the police vans. Those weren't hooligans. Those were undercover cops. They lured some of the demonstrators of the field. Now there's two groups of demonstrators, the, the people staying behind, the people marching off the field, doing their demonstration march or whatever. So one of the, well, one of the protesters was, was dragged off. And that's when people say, hey, don't, don't, don't take that guy. And, and then, then, the, then the, well, you know, tear gas and, and, and clubs and stuff uh, and arrests took place. Another action that they had planned was, uh, well, if democracies died, Let's put flowers in front of our city hall. That's a nice, friendly protest. So people brought their flowers, wanted to go to city hall, and were banned and blocked and intimidated as well. So you're not allowed to demonstrate. I'm, I'm, I'm just taking my flowers. <laughs> so that's that's new for us that these things happen. Wow, it sounds like a wake-up uh, call, and that's a classic strategy with the police all across the world. This uh, it's a false flag uh, tactic, in- infiltration, and creating a violent pretext, right, for the police to crack down and deviate the, the movement. Um, what other aspects of the lockdowns uh, can you comment on, uh, whether yeah. in Netherlands or Europe? You mentioned the media as well. Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk Netherlands first. Um, yeah, I don't know how you look at the Netherlands. So for me, but maybe I'm chauvinistic here. We have a pretty old democracy and, and a sturdy constitution and a nice separation of powers. So if you if you talk democracy, the Dutch should should set maybe set an example. 
Is, is that how you would perceive, look at it, maybe? Like historically, yes, I guess traditionally. Yeah, 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 exactly. Now, when um, the corona pandemic was declared, and I'm choosing my words carefully, I agree with the COVID-1984 that you uh, coined back, back, uh, back in, I don't know, early this year. So when a pandemic was declared, the Dutch went into lockdown as well. And at, at, at that time, like in March, we didn't know what was coming. So we uh, closed our schools, closed our uh, restaurants, and, and, and that's just like the rest of the Western world. And uh, I was okay with that at that time. But those lockdown measures were not done under emergency law. We have an emergency law. So if there's a case of emergency, state of emergency, like big forest fire or chemical disaster or whatever, you declare a state of emergency and then you can do whatever you want. And then parliament is in charge of loosening those that state of emergency again. So that's your democratic process right there. Now with coronavirus, we didn't do the state of emergency. We delegated the measures to our mayors who in the Netherlands are not elected. So unelected mayors... Uh, harmonized their approach, <laughs> but there was not sta no state of emergency. Now, the, the, the bandwidth that our mayors have is not that big. I mean, it's an unelected mayor. He can do whatever he needs to do, but he cannot violate our constitution. But that's what he did. That's what our mayors did. They imposed rules, all of them, that violate our, um, our constitution, like block demonstrations or like mandate uh, the meter and a half measures, like you're not allowed to touch each other, kiss each other, have sex, or touch each other, or go shopping <laughs> with more than two people and all those things. So um, those measures were unconstitutional. And you can get away with that for a week or two weeks, but you can't get away with that for months. And a group of people stood up to that and started filing lawsuits, uh, like fast-track lawsuits against the state and against our... CDC, against our National Health Service kind of organization, the RIVM, it's called, and, they're, and, and, and against the state, and they're losing everyone. But, but them taking the state to court and making these things explicit and saying, well, these are the measures you've taken. You're not allowed to take them by the mayors. They're breaking the constitution regardless. So judge, <laughs> please stop, put a stop to this. And then <clears throat> through all kinds of constructs, or the judge just refuses to, to look at the constitution and, and says, well, well, well it's a, I think it's, it's, it, it is kind of an emergency. And so um, we see that our juridical system is just as flawed as the political system that imposed these regulations through the mayors. Now, we have relaxed our measures somewhat. And... Uh, I am complaining. I mean, I'm, I'm very upset and very angry about, at our Dutch government and, about, and at the mayors. But at the same time, in Spain, you would get beaten up if you were smoking outside your hotel. <laughs> and in Germany, you have to wear the face mask all over the place. So the measures in the Netherlands are not as strict as they are in other places. But still, we are not allowed, we're not supposed to be closer to each other than a meter and a half. We're not allowed to shake hands. What happens if you do that in public? Is there someone like watching you? I mean, if you walk with a friend arm in arm, what's going to happen? So when this first started, our Minister of Justice did a um, marketing of, uh, initiative 
on his bicycle. Well, us being the Dutch, he took his bicycle. And this was like early summer. So through a big known park, the Vondelpark, uh, where people were picnicking, he would be on his bike, the Minister of Justice, and, and, and stopping at people and say, well, you're not really following the rules. So you really should be following the rules, right? So and the cameras were on that. So that was nice and friendly, nice and friendly marketing approach. Now, that was the, the, the first the first implementation of our of our corona measures, but then the fines started. So after that, if you were close together, you would get a 390 euro fine. If there's 10 of you, you would get 10 times that amount. And um, so that's qu quite a significant amount of money. It's not nowhere near as bad as in Spain or Germany or other countries, but still, that's a, that's a big fine. Now, that Minister of Justice um, got married the other day. And, uh, and, and, well, like in most other countries, you will have some tabloid photographers sitting in the, behind the bushes trying to snatch pictures. So we learned after the wedding that that guy that was imposing fines and that was day after day, week after week, telling people to keep their social distance, to, to follow the rules, to not spread the virus, to not get people sick. He was getting married, hugging everybody, hugging his, his uh, mother-in-law, hugging his grandchildren, whatever, on the other arm, and that went through the day. So that's a blatant show of arrogance. Like I'm, I'm not. I'm the minister. I can get away with anything. It's like a movie, right? It's like like the Three Musketeers movie, where where the elites spit on the people. Well, I mean, I think beyond just that, it shows that they're not even taking it seriously, which adds again fuel to that fire of the idea that this is not a pandemic. I mean, the elites, the people in control are not taking it seriously. So they're not afraid. So there's something going on there. Either that or he really hates his mother-in-law. <laughs> no, they're not taking it seriously. We know we know they don't take it seriously. There's pictures of our lower house, of our um, parliament, where, where the, the people, the, the, the chairs, well, they're not a meter and a half apart. So then now they're keeping uh, like chairs and then one empty and then another one filled and then one empty so they can keep their meter and a half. But if you see through the door opening, they're just chatting, standing close together, being social, like we're supposed to. We're social animals, right? So off camera, when they think they're off camera, they're just being their social normal self. So it's all a big act. It's a big play, and it's out in the open, and everybody sees that. And also, everybody does that. So when I was talking to you last time, when was that? March 6th, I made a note. Just before the lockdown, we, we were talking. And you were talking about your um, like credit card thingy. That yeah, you in had Kazakhstan, yeah. You, you were only allowed to go out a couple of times a month and just you, between you and your spouse and, and only for grocery shopping. So in the Netherlands, we did that for a while. If, if, the, if the two of you went grocery shopping, one would be stopped at the entrance and the other one would be allowed to go in with a cleaned cart. We're not doing anything of that anymore. No, but nobody believes that stuff anymore. We're just being our regular selves, you know, shopping and, and whatever, not observing those idiotic rules. Nobody is sick here, Vaji. And, and the, you know the word. So you coined COVID-1984. You might have actually been first to do that, and the way I saw it anyway. But there's other terms now. 
we have the plandemic, right? And we have the case-demic. So this annoys me more than anything. It's, th there are cases. And what's a case? Well, that's a PCR-tested uh, PCR person. So you, you get his test, and some part of this alleged virus was found from you know, whatever inside your body, in your, in your, in your nose or in your, in your throat. That is not an indication of you being sick or you being infectious, and it might even be a false positive. And the person inventing th those tests uh, also said, you can't use this for a cli clinical di diagnosis. <laughs> But all over the world, we're using those tests. And uh, the result is, well, there's, there's cases. But on the news here in the Netherlands, it's portrayed as patients or infected or infectious people. So me being a journalist, I called the Dutch CDC and said, well, about those tests. I mean, how it's, this is how it's on the television. This is what, what, what it is. So am I misunderstanding? Explain this test to me. And he said, no, 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 no. It's, 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 I mean, we... You know what we're testing, so it's not that you're infected or infectious. So how does it make it to the TV where my prime minister is saying that there's patients then? So I don't know. Ask the prime minister. <laughs> so here we have the, the Dutch Fauci in a way or the Dutch CDC or whatever saying one thing and my Dutch minister of health and prime minister saying something totally different on TV and our Dutch BBC, the NOS, the Dutch Broadcasting Corporation, Going, uh, going along presenting the lies of our political system. So it's out in the open here, uh, Vojji, but most people are not watching my podcast or yours. They're still watching their television. Yeah, I mean, I think it's similar around the world, but uh, I mean, there is a group of people, as you say, just starting not to, to... Well, I think there's a big divide. There's still people who uh, believe the official narrative and they won't remove themselves from it because I think they've invested so much into it and they don't want to look stupid and, and uh, admit that they've been had, you know, that they've been had the wool pull over their eyes, uh, as they say. But uh, I know in Croatia, I had uh, some relatives attend uh, last weekend, the protest in Zagreb in Croatia uh, against uh, the, the lockdowns. And as well, the media, everywhere the media falsely portrays uh, all of the, the, the protests and the protesters. Um, is there any final thought you have for us on the Corona bin Laden, COVID-1984, the lockdowns before we get a, an update on what's happening with the Julian Assange case? Yeah, well, maybe an example. So I have two kids. So I don't believe kids age two are supposed to wear mouth masks just yet. And in school in the Netherlands, the, the kids also don't have to wear the masks. Some regulations still apply though. And if you have a cold, if you sneeze a lot, you're supposed to quarantine yourself for two weeks. Now, a foreign exchange student who came back from uh, Mallorca, I believe, anyway, from abroad where there were supposed to be more cases like those tested people, she was flown back and she had to mandatory quarantine in a closed down facility with a closed locked door. That's uncommon for the Netherlands. We don't have that. I mean, you, you heard that from Wuhan in China, where they soldered the doors closed. But this person, this student, was, was mandatory closed in uh, yeah, by official Dutch instances. And it took her six days to ask, well, what do I have to do to leave? Can I? Well, no, you, you're here voluntarily. So the rules are still officially, it's voluntarily, but they impose so much pressure on you that it takes you six days to actually dare ask the question how you may leave 
but but you she was locked the door was locked uh, and only only when she herself pressured was she uh, allowed to leave and she was never sick now i was called i was texted by my kid who's 14 now and he said well i, I sneeze a lot in class do i need to go home and I, I don't know what what do what do i tell the kid so I, I, my my answer was well if you feel if you if you're uh, uncomfortable being in class then you go home if you feel sick then you go home but if you think you have a call and you want to follow this class then you stay but i think i broke rules and i think he could be even be in trouble because if you if you sneeze you're supposed to leave in the united states students are tested they're drafted Right there, there, there's there's place Ohio, I think. Oh, I'm doing this for recollection. Students are drafted and say, "Well, you you're getting a test, <laughs> and if you refuse, you're getting your mandatory isolation." <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's happening uh, everywhere. So I think recently in university, people left the campus, or they just for thinking, questioning the narrative. People, students are now being kicked exactly. out for a week, uh, and I think recently some university students broke the rules. And they were expelled from the university, and the thirty thousand dollars they paid in tuition, the university kept. So, my the, the other example, and then we go to Assange. I have a daughter also; she's she's eleven now, uh, almost almost eleven, and um, she has this this presentation that she needs to do in class. Right, all the kids have to do one presentation, and they they t- t- pick a topic. And she decided, I'm going to pick the coronavirus and the measures as a topic. And she's in my camp. She's critical. And I'm going, oh, what am I going to tell her? What's, what's, what's the teacher going to think of a kid being critical of, of the official narrative? I think we're going to, I'll tell you in the next interview. <laughs> so she's, she's as uh, stubborn as I am. So, uh, so what do you want to know about the Assange case, uh, Roger? Yeah, because, um, you know, you've inter- interviewed previously one of the first uh, NSA whistleblowers, Thomas Drake. Um, and uh, you also know, you've known Alfred Desaias, who was my professor as well, who's met personally with Assange, and you're out there in Europe. And today, uh, September 7th, Monday, uh, the Assange WikiLeaks case has resumed. Um, I haven't been following it too closely, but apparently he's been charged with 17 counts of espionage. Um, and I was uh, reading antiwar.com where they, I think yesterday published, um, and this is the, one of the scary parts of the case and, and its conclusion, if it ever comes, is, it, quote, if Assange, an Australian citizen, is extradited to the U.S. and prosecuted, it will be the first time a journalist is tried under the 1917 Espionage Act, and it will set a grave precedent for press freedom in the U.S. Uh, and, and around the world, uh, end, end quote. So, Maybe if you can just give us an update, what's happening with Assange in the case? Yes, here's the update. Um, so Assange has been in isolation, locked locked up in an Ecuadorian embassy, and, and then arrested, taken from the embassy in London, and then arrested, put in Belmarsh prison, and he's been there over a year. And his extradition trial, the real trial dates, I mean, there were, there were procedural hearings, so let's skip those, but there was a real trial, proceeding in February. That took a week. I was there in London. And while I was there from my hotel room, I interviewed all kinds of people, um, uh, including Thomas Drake that you just... Uh, well, no, it was John Kiriakou. Anyway, the, the CIA whistleblower. You get my point. Back then, the charges were mostly a Spionage Act. 
and that and it is that is odd. But but yeah, that's 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 the, the world we live in. So an Australian ju- journalist or publisher, at the least, is, is is sought by United States because he exposed war crimes, and United Kingdom is playing along. <laughs> Sweden is playing along. Ecuador is uh, playing along. But back in February, the pretense still won that the juridical system in United Kingdom might have some might still exist. <laughs> But uh, well, the, the the public jury is still out on that. So that was February, and then uh, today it it resumed. Now in court, so I was not there. If I wanted to go, I was planning to go there. I was planning to go to London, be a be a journalist, be a protester again. But if I did that, I had to go through two weeks of mandatory quarantine. And if you enter the country, unless you enter in a small harbor and nobody sees you. <laughs> Uh, if you enter through official channels, you have to file where you stay and they may check where you stay. And if you break quarantine, then you're in trouble. So I was not prepared to, 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 to suffer the two weeks and I was not prepared to do it illegally. So I, I'm not in London, I'm at home. Um, some journalists are there. Some other journalists managed to f- um, subscribe to an online session, web, webcast by the court. Now, in my assumption, Roji, the court proceedings are supposed to be uh, public. They're open to the public. You can visit them as, as the public. That, that's the way the legal system works. But with the corona measures, they're not public. So in the Netherlands, this is a good thing of the Netherlands. They're streaming our big court proceedings. They're streamed out to the audience, just to, to YouTube, really, basically. It's a different channel, but you get the idea. Everybody gets to see them. Not so much in the United Kingdom today. Uh, some journalists were allowed to follow the stream, but some international observers and organizations like Amnesty International were denied at last moment, like this morning. I mean, they were registered, they were sitting, they were ready, and they were denied the, the, the access to the stream. Kristen Ruffinson, who is now the editor-in-chief of, of WikiLeaks since Assange is in prison, um, he was out in the street doing a speech it's recorded. You can see that. Just like uh, John Shipton, Assange is dead. John Pilger, uh, the journalist, and some other people. Uh, Kristen Robinson was, was out in the street also doing a presentation, and then he went to court to be there. He was denied access. So there's a clip of the, of the editor-in-chief of WikiLeaks being not allowed in the court building, in the, in the courtroom, being not allowed to follow the court proceedings. Now, I talked to him in February. I was behind the fence. I mean, I'm a journalist without a card, without a press ID, and he comes out of the courtroom. He was kicked out in February. And then there was a public uproar, and then he was let in. So that was February, but now he didn't even get in. So that's the court proceedings today. The audio of the journalists that managed to get in or that were on the stream was bad, so they didn't re- hear everything. And the, in, the connection of the recording failed altogether when the first real witness was presenting this case. So this court, these court proceedings are not public. We're not allowed to see them. There are no international observers. There's a few journalists, and I managed to find two of them who were typing on Twitter, giving us a report. So what I'm telling you is, is those reports. And the biggest thing that happened today 
is that the original extradition case that the United States made was dropped and then was replaced by a new one. Assange was re-arrested today in court because the old one was dropped, so there's no arrest. And then there was a new one, so he was re-arrested. So, well, the documents underlying that new arrest, they were uh, available for a couple of weeks. Assange never got to see them. And, and the lawyers and Assange never got to discuss them. And judge asks uh, the defense attorney, so did you manage to discuss this with Assange? And he said, well, we had two short telephone conversations, but that didn't really help. <laughs> so they, they didn't have time to prepare at all for this new uh, indictment. What's new in the new indictment is that it appears not to be so much about the Espionage Act articles. But what happened today in court, and, and I'm just paraphrasing, because I don't know, I wasn't there. I'm, I'm, I'm reading people who are typing stuff on Twitter. So the way I understand it is that Assange's defense really don't know what to defend against anymore. <laughs> We had the old the old case with the espionage act that that's properly prepared, I think, under the circumstances. And then we have the Americans making a new case with new indictments, going, well, yeah, well, he was he was hacking computers and doing all other kinds of stuff. And the defense go, well, uh, maybe we should read this first and prepare. Essentially, and allowed, yeah. essentially, it's like a kangaroo court, basically, and the death of democracy. I mean, they can do whatever they want now and yes. toss you toss you in the cage and yes. that's it. Yes. So these two topics that we've just discussed, and we're going to the end of this conversation, I think, my minister of justice blatantly not following his own rules for which he imposes criminal penalties to the, you get a criminal record if you're too close to somebody and you get fined. And he has his wedding, and I, I, I'm, I, I'm all for his wedding and hugging people. He's doing the right thing, but he has to stop that crazy law and that, that difference in justice because him, him not being under the law and all of us are. Same thing is happening with Assange. Uh, he has no, he has no, he doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> there is no rule of law in the United Kingdom. Well, I think we've seen in large parts of the world, uh, effectively, in, in many countries. Uh, well, thanks to Corona, everywhere now, basically. Every it's the cool thing. So thanks to, I met you before this, but I'm meeting so many cool people doing so many cool stuff now. And there's so much, this channel, podcast, like Conversations of Hope, this is, this is hopeful. It's exploded in, in, in watchers and exposure and people contributing and talking to, it, to each other. So all this information, the more they defraud the system, the more the information comes out. The only thing is we might lose people like Assange before we get momentum. That's, that's what's going to keep me up tonight. <laughs> I'm also afraid they're going to cut the line, you know, big tech, uh, slicing, slicing and dicing, chopping, you know, YouTube. Uh, and so I'm, I think a lot of us are trying to migrate to the alternative channels, but, you know, they might even do something there through Internet service providers and things like that. Worst case scenario. But um, to finish here. So we've covered the lockdowns and um, what's happening with Assange. Uh, just to get your main website uh, or initi initiatives that uh, you want to let us know about, uh, what are the best websites to, to find you yes. on? So I'm running my own 
podkaars podcast. And that would be kind of what you're doing with the geopolitics. Only my angle would be, I need people that, that are activists that try to make the world better. Uh, I don't need per, per se the, the, the geopolitical political information. I'll go to your interviews for that. But if you're activist, so this is local. If you see this thing, <laughs> that's podcast, P-O-T-K-A-A-R-S dot N-L. Half of the interviews are English spoken, half is Dutch. And the other initiative is that I want to plug here is manystream.media. And um, if you are organizing a demonstration, if you're in Melbourne, if you're in Hong Kong, if you're in Texas, <laughs> where if you're in Mexico, if you're protesting, the, if you're with the, the Assange trial, if you're out in the street uh, outside the court building, uh, just volunteer your stream, your, your phone, if you're putting that up in the air and you're recording what's actually happening there, volunteer that link to manystream.media so everybody in the world gets to see them. It doesn't have to go find them. It can be on Facebook, Google, YouTube, Twitter, uh, library.tv, BitChute, uh, Peer, PeerTube, whatever. <laughs> if you can stream to it, link it, and I'm collecting that on the manystream.media. Let that be the alternative to mainstream media. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, let's work on that uh, together. I know you've started that up recently, mainstream media. And again, I'm going to urge listeners to check out Rico's podcast podcast. I'll put the links in there. It's a shame I can only understand half of the podcast because the uh, one half is in English and the other half is in Dutch. And you also, I think, work with the other popular Dutch uh, podcast channel, Cafe Welshmerz, which has a lot of good guests on there. But again, I can't listen to them because some are in, uh, most are in Dutch. Uh, so again, check out the podcast uh, there. And we'll be talking again uh, soon to get news from you about what's happening uh, in Europe on even other other subjects. So thank you again, Rico. You're welcome, buddy. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast and interview. I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.